for years, I've been fascinated about the difference that makes the difference. We've run the Rebel Business School for over 20,000 people now. And why does one person take what we teach and fly and another person stay stuck for months and years afterwards? What actually makes the difference between someone who makes progress and someone who doesn't? Well, hopefully we're going to find some of that out today. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. I'm super excited to have with me Damir Bentley. Uh, welcome to the show. Alan, thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to have you here and like I'd love let's before we get into what you do now I'd love to know because you said you've done the venture capital route and you've started a business with venture capital which is kind of the antithesis of what we talk about on this podcast. Yeah. Well, I you're not going to get any disagreement from me. Uh we were talking <laughs> be, before the podcast uh about you know, your ethos of making sure that when people starting businesses, they realize that they can start it with, you know, no money, very little money, their sweat equity, their ability to just get out there and hustle it. Um, I, I laughed and said that I had done 180 degrees the opposite for my first business, which is I went out there and raised $1.5 million in seed and, and wow. angel funding. And it was a colossal mistake. Oh, no. Um, it was a complete abject failure. And the worst part about it was that when it was all said and done, somebody turned me on to a book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany by Stephen Blank. And I read that book. And as soon as I put it down, I realized that if I had read that book before I started that business, I could have saved myself all of that time and all of that money because I would have known that nobody wanted what I was trying to sell to the world. And so oh, no. Oh so, no, I so, just want to hold my head in my hands and give you a hug. I know, I know. Someone hold me, please. No, <laughs> I I think it was it was a very typical entrepreneurial journey in the sense that it hurt me really bad and taught me lessons that I couldn't have learned any other way because I was very possessed of the Steve Jobs mentality of business, which is mm. your your Moses you know, going to the mountaintop and receiving the word of God and coming down to the heathens and telling them, this is what you want. Let me show you what you <laughs> didn't realize that you needed. Um, and everybody really, you know, we were, were obsessed culturally by that framework. And so, and I was, and I, w I really wanted for my ego to bring the tablets down from the mountaintop and, and show the heathens, you know, what this was all going to be about. And it took a, a failure of that magnitude to, to really just squeeze all of the ego right out of me and take the wind <laughs> out of me enough for me to actually get some humility and start to be of service, start to listen mm. to the world rather than trying to tell the world what it wanted, start to listen uh, and uh, to the world 
and hear what it was trying to tell me it wanted. So that was my journey. I could get into it more, but yes, I, you won't find somebody who agrees with you more vehemently than me. I, I thank you for being so open and sharing that because like one of the expressions we have is sell before you create. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you've come across that in different language, different ways. That's kind of our version is why build the software product? Why write the book? Why design the course? Why make the cupcake until you've sold it? Uh, and then if you sell it, you know you've got a customer. Um, and customers will tell you quite If you ask for their money, they will tell you quite quickly whether they want yeah. it or not. They're pretty brutal, especially if it's anonymous, right? The second you get to out to Facebook ads. I mean, if somebody's clicking oh, wow. a Facebook ad, they're not doing it because they like you or they're friends of your friends or anything. There's no sympathy. Once you get into a completely anonymous, arm's length environment, if you pitch somebody something, they have zero compunction to just say this is crap or, you know, or not click it. And so you get... You know, when you ask for people's money, when you even ask for their clicks, when you ask for a little bit of their time in an arm's length environment, oh, they'll tell you for sure. I uh, I had one pop up on my newsfeed in Facebook recently, and it was a guy doing presentations and he was actually selling how to do good presentations. And his video, I looked like it caught my eye because I taught presentation skills for a long time. And I looked at it and was like, the lighting's bad, the video's bad, and you sound boring. And like it was really badly done. And then I just glanced down at the comments and people were like, this guy's selling good presentations and he can't do them. And they were brutal in the comments. Yeah. I thought it, I didn't write it, but it's it's people can be brutal. But I would something you said a second ago about there's no sympathy. I actually think that's useful that there's no sympathy because friends will just tell you what you need to hear. So they'll tell you what you want to hear rather than what yeah. you need to hear. And like friends are trying to be nice and I love them for it, but doesn't help me make progress. I think about the scientific method a lot, right? You know, until we had, you know, our brain is possessed by bias. And in fact, that's this, this might even transition a little bit into the productivity space. But, you know, we are creatures who are emotional and, and massively biased, who can, with great effort and only occasionally, see the world as it truly is. And so I think about the scientific method as being a process that we, as simple as it seems, a process that has allowed us to navigate beyond a world of bias and fear and, and anxiety into a world where we can, you know, of truly magical results, phones and scientific breakthroughs, right? I mean, the scientific method has gotten us there. And it's because it actually helps us navigate past bias and, and bias of all sorts, fear-based bias, greed-based bias, whatever it might be, is what keeps us from seeing our business, and our idea as it really is. And what's great about getting into unsympathetic, anonymous testing grounds uh, is that your bias gets stripped away really fast. You, it, it, you know, <laughs> when you put the bait in that fishing hole, the fish don't care about you at all. They only bite if they want to bite and if they're there and they don't bite if they don't want. And you can, you can spend an infinite amount of time in that fishing hole and you cannot beg the fish to bite. They just don't care. You can't talk your way. You can't smooth talk your way into it. You can't wish or pray your way into it. You either, you're either fishing with bait 
or you're not. And I agree with you completely, although it's brutal and we avoid it like the plague, that is really the, that's really where all progress happens because until you become a scientist with a hypothesis and you go test and the test doesn't care about you, it just brings back the results and you got to learn from those results and then run another test. So I, when people get really wrapped up emotionally, when my clients get wrapped up emotionally in their entrepreneurial journey, I just say, you're just like a cancer researcher. That's all you are. You know, don't, don't get wrapped up in the emotion. You just create a test, run it. No matter what happens, you're going to learn something, create another test, run it, and trust that, yes, you don't know exactly when the result's going to come, but you know that if you run an unbiased process where you just test, learn, test, learn, test, learn, test, learn, you're going to get there eventually. You're going to discover some profound things eventually. Yeah, we call that the mini experiment. Um, yeah, and I love the word experiment for entrepreneurship because it kind of takes away the need for it to be successful because yes. I'm just having an experiment. I'm just testing, see what happens. Uh, and <laughs> you stick it out there to the world, run your mini experiment and see what happens. And I, the other piece I had was talking about brutal feedback. The most brutal feedback I've ever come across in my life was when I started to do stand up comedy. Oh, uh, Yeah. They do not duck the punches. They will boo. They will hiss. They will heckle. They will tell you exactly what they think. And it is instant and live and direct. But you learn. Like, that wasn't funny. I've learned quick. Oh, that one worked. And you learn. And then you repeat. And if yes. you watch it back on video, you know instantly <laughs> you nailed it or not. It's super uncomfortable. Super yes. uncomfortable. Yes. I think... The professionals have learned to sit through the uncomfortableness. Well, and just almost even look forward to that rapid improvement <laughs> that you get from, from honest, uninterrupted feedback. And if I may, I, I don't know if this, if this transition is as seamless as I see it in my mind, but... <laughs> <laughs> let's give it a know, go. Let's give it a go. So I'm a productivity coach, right? And, and I've been so for, for 10 years. And... One of the things that I, I, you know, I wrote a book about it. After 10 years of not writing a book, I finally wrote a book. And the number one topic that I chose was how to plan your week to win your week. And part of the reason I chose that is because on one hand, it is so obvious and boring. And we ran a, a survey of 5,000 people who managed between five and 50 employees. So successful people. And we asked them, what's the number one thing you do need to do to win your week? Not surprising, 94% of people listed planning your week as one of the most important things you could do to win your week. Okay, everybody's probably listening right now and thinking, duh, duh, most obvious thing in the world. Then I followed up with that same cohort and I said, okay, in the last four weeks, have you planned your week? How, how many people? I, I'm laughing because I feel like I know the answer. Yeah, I mean, take a guess. 10, Less than 1% no. did a proper pre-play. Now, 6% had done some element of planning, meaning they might have reviewed their calendar, but I'll check their to-do list, or they might have done this, but not that. But when it came down to all of the elements that you had to do to do a real pre-planning, less than 1%. So what's interesting is I'm, I'm sort of on a mission to make this boring thing that we all know we, sh we should be doing, that none of us are doing, make it sexy. So, so let's see if I can do that here today. Mm. But let me make the connection. I would assert that the reason that we're not winning the week is because of that, that bias. The same bias that's keeping us from seeing our business, 
the way that it actually is and taking in information and processing it in the right way or not wanting to hear certain truths about our business, that same bias keeps us from seeing our work, our workflow, our tasks, our limitations clearly. We all suffer from time blindness, priority blindness, task blindness, right? Where our wishful thinking or our fears cloud our bias and keep us from seeing our our world as it actually is, or even keep us from wanting to look at our world and see it the way to, that it is. So I would assert that the number one reason that people don't plan their week is they don't want to look at the reality of their circumstances and face up to it in an unbiased, clear manner. Mm. Does that it, make sense? It, yeah, it makes complete sense. And it's fascinating. Can I add like one small piece to that? Please. My thought is that we're always looking for the sexy answer rather than doing the basics. And what you've said is the basic is planning the week sounds really boring. And it does. And then you go, well, okay, you just need to do the basics well. And I think so often we're searching for the new thing. Yeah. What's the app? What's the new fresh technique? Is, has somebody written a new book on a new concept? And, it's, and to come all the way back and say, yeah, but let's just ask. It's almost like saying, how can I slam dunk, but I can't even dribble the ball, mm -hmm. right? It, so I get it. Slam dunking is great. I'm not against slam dunking. Learn to slam dunk. But if you can't dribble the ball, you need to ask yourself, what's the utility of skipping steps here if I'm not dribbling and running the ball down the field? For the British audience, I think that's a basketball reference. Uh, yes, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's like do the basics, and I think in the entrepreneurial world, for me, it's always okay. Have you defined the product? Have you defined the audience? And are you actually selling yeah. to them before you get out there and like try and raise a million and a half dollars or whatever it is? Like, have we actually sold some stuff? Have we defined it? And I think those oh, do basics... we have bait? Are, are we fishing with bait? <laughs> are we cooking with fire? Yeah. Like, do we have do we have something here? The only thing I would correct you on is people say, "Oh, planning's boring. That's why I don't want to do it." And let's just correct that. Planning is terrifying. Now, it might be a terror <laughs> that sits sort of bubbling underneath the surface. But I would argue that nobody thinks, oh, I should plan my week. Oh, but that's boring, so I don't want to do it. Most people, when you really get to the moment of sitting down and opening up your calendar and opening up your to-do list, let's recognize that there's massive amounts of fear and anxiety. I even like to say that even if you're doing it perfectly right, let's assume that you have, Alan, done everything perfectly right, you will still experience fear and anxiety in some ways crippling fear and anxiety by opening it up and looking into the future. So I like to say that planning, even at its best, is is a trade. It's taking a slap in the face today instead of a, you know, getting jumped by five men in a dark alley on Wednesday, right? I mean, is it a good trade? Yes, I'll take that trade all day long, but that doesn't mean I'm ever going to look forward to the slap right? You're always, you know, planning is accelerating a week's worth of decisions, mistakes. You know, you're really fear casting your entire week in one 30 minute session. Guess how that 30 minute session is going to feel? Not that great, right? So, so if we don't acknowledge that it's a trade and that it never feels fantastic, even when done perfectly right, then what we're going to do is we're constantly going to underestimate the challenge of planning and never really bring ourselves and gear ourselves up in the right way to actually meet that challenge. 
And that means, and, and the lived experience is putting it on your calendar, telling yourself you're going to do it, and then somehow mystically, mysteriously finding out a way to be busy <laughs> in that moment or to have some other chore that you need to do in that moment because your animal brain is trying to get you away from that anxious, I, fearful experience. Yeah. It's really interesting because so Rebel Business School grew quite quickly and we had a whole team of people, but I always found it hard to get people to go into their diary and look forward at what's coming mm -hmm. and course. go, okay, next week we have this program. What do we need to do now to make sure it goes well? And the week after we have this. And I found it hard to get anyone else to do it. Like I had to be the one that forced us all to look yep. through what's coming up to make sure those things are happen. So how do we get ourselves to look forwards? How do we, how do we get us, the people around us to look forwards and plan forwards and how do we make it simple and sexier, Absolutely. more exciting and less like a slap in the, uh, in Le the less like a slap in the face. Well, a slap in the face that you're willing to take, right. <laughs> that you're almost ex in, excited to take. Right. Um, I mean, I, I would say the first thing is uh, is really seeing clearly what the benefits are, right? And what happens often is people have have either not planned, and often just people say, "Well, Demir, I plan," and then I say, "Well, take me through how you plan your week," and it really is the worst, only you know, tangential. Oh, I just open my calendar and glance a little bit at it, right? So we've got a very distinct five step process that we take people through, and it's a stage gated process, much like an entrepreneurial product development, where you can't go to stage two until you've done stage one, right? So we have a stage gated five step process that we take people through so that they can know for themselves did I actually do it or did I avoid it and say. That I did it. But let me, instead of taking you through the whole thing, let me just take you through the first two things. Number one is when you see the benefit of planning, when you get on offense, you realize that offense is about 10% as effortful as defense, meaning it is harder to play defense in your life than it is to play offense. Now, so why would we do it? We do it because it's far more comforting to be on defense. On defense, you don't have to make tough choices. On defense, you don't have to tell people things they don't want to hear or tell yourself something that you don't want to hear. So defense is harder, but psychologically more comforting, almost like a, like a drug addict living underneath the bridge, right? That does, that's not an easy life, but, but it's, it, it, it's a life where they didn't have to challenge themselves. They didn't have to face up or deal with anything hard. And it took them to a, so this is the thing I'll say. Pursuing comfort can take us to some very uncomfortable places, right? And, and living a comfortable life where you don't have to face up to tough decisions can actually be the least comfortable life that you could possibly live. Does that make sense? So the first thing that we need to recognize to really get excited about planning is recognizing that life on offense is so much easier, not by a factor of two or three. I mean, often by a factor of 10. And yes, it's uncomfortable to have these isolated moments. They really, really are brief, isolated moments of being confronted, of having to make decisions, of having to mourn the loss of a pathway that maybe you wanted to take, right? Th these are uncomfortable moments. But once those moments are passed and we've gotten through them, life is 10 times easier on the other side. So that's the first thing I would say to get people excited about, about planning is if you can just experience brief moments of discomfort, your life can be a thousand times easier. I think I love that concept. I think people get addicted 
to the drama that comes from playing defense. Because you get like, there's another challenge. I can feel like I'm making progress because that challenge has come. I've hit it. I've defeated it. And then like you get the downtime to rest afterwards sometimes. Although they well, and you never have to. Fast. When you're playing defense, the game comes to you. You never decide the game. And so you can then never, you never have the discomfort of making choices, but you also then don't have to deal with the consequences of making choices, right? The entrepreneurial journey is making choices and living with it. Right. And, and in a context where you don't have enough resources, whether that's time or money or whatever it might be to go back and undo that choice. And so how much easier is it, is it for us to just let life come to us and not have to make any choices? And although that's dead wrong and we know it's wrong and we know that's not the best way to navigate, it's incredibly comforting because then we can validate ourselves. Wow, I worked so hard last week. Wow, I, 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 I dealt with so many emergencies last week, ignoring the fact that you didn't make any of the hard choices. All of these emergencies were unnecessary emergencies, but you can just sort of fall back into this almost like punch drunk place of just comforting yourself and saying, yes, but I'm working. Yes, I'm dealing with emergencies, right? Even if it's not where you need to be, an entrepreneur should be making tough choices. They should be out in front but when we're on the caboose and we're riding the caboose instead of at the front of the train, right? The, I mean, this is this is the easiest way for young companies to die. What's a caboose? The caboose of the train is the very last <laughs> train okay. on the... The very last piece, yeah. Yeah. If you make decisions at the front, then you never have the problems. Well, you have less of the problems at the back end. I absolutely love that. Sorry, sometimes the analogies, I think... I'm not trained what a caboose is I'm, as a British I'm person. Deeply, I'm deeply American, <laughs> so I apologize for my deep, deep Americanisms. Please do inquire if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, oh, but, so that was it. the first thing. So step number one is get excited about your life being easier because it will be if you can experience small levels of discomfort. Mm. I, I actually have this thing of like your success in life is directly correlated to the number of uncomfortable moments you can go through. And I don't think people tackle uncomfortable moments. They run away from them. But, but also, you know, uh, Lewis Howes, I was talking with Lewis Howes once and he said, we're getting allergic to discomfort in this society, mm -hmm. right? We've, we experience so much comfort that we think that's going to make us happier and happier. But the less discomfort we expose ourselves to, the more that when we do experience sometimes even mild bits of discomfort, we find ourselves allergic and unable to tolerate them. So let me just ask you, it, let's imagine like stubbing your toe, right? Like, the, like let's talk about if 10 out of 10 is stubbing your toe to the point where you think it's broken, right? Where would planning your week sit? Probably somewhere down around a two or a three. I mean, it's not... If you asked me whether I would want to break my toe, stubbing it on, on, on something, or sit down and do a planning session, I mean, I'd be like, well, fine, I'll do a planning session. I'll do the planning so session. When we put it relative to real pain, we recognize that this is mild discomfort, right? Now, if not compared to real discomfort, we often pump it up as if it's something worse than it really is. But let's be honest, this is very mildly uncomfortable and makes your life maximally successful. So it, it's a trade that we should all be willing to take. Does that make sense? Mm, it makes complete sense to me. And I've been quite amused. The last time I was in the, the United States, I went on a bit of a rant with my wife because people's trainers at the bottom, tennises, 
tennises? Sneakers. Ten- you sneak yeah, around in America, don't you? Yeah. And yeah, the yeah, sneakers. Yeah. Sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> the sneakers have got thicker and thicker and thicker, and it's like padding against the world. The suspension on the cars has got thicker and thicker, and it's like we don't want any padding and we don't want to feel anything. The beds have got thicker and thicker and thicker, and it's like we don't want to feel anything in our lives anymore we don't want that feeling and yet that feeling is the feedback from the world that actually helps us to navigate to where we want to be and i just think we're protecting ourselves in padded bubbles from what's really going on in life yeah and it's just to go revisit what what lewis told me lewis said the reason he likes to start the day with some pain some discomfort Every single day, whether it's a cold shower or it's a hard workout, he said, I I want to inure myself to feeling small bits of pain so that when I'm confronted by uncomfortable situations, I have the ability to face it without running away or or making as as if it's harder than it really is. So so that's number, number one. I would say number two is to recognize that Whenever something is uncomfortable for us, our animal brain kicks in to try to move us away, right? So, so you know, our animal brain, it, it, this is highly oversimplified, but it really is there to move us away from pain and towards pleasure. And so when you consistently put yourself in something painful, just know that you're really setting a timer. You're, it's really a countdown timer to when your animal brain wants to get you away from that thing. And that's why I no longer believe in things that are hard, but don't create positive benefits in the mid and long term, right? And what I mean by that is going to the gym is really hard, but the truth is, is in, a, in very short order, you feel good about yourself. Either just feeling good about yourself that you had it done in the first place, like, oh, I did a gym session, but in short order, you're also feeling better about yourself, right? Like, and 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 in, in the sort of medium to long term, you actually find yourself craving a gym session. So although the gym is hard, there is a point at which the cycle kicks in and your animal brain doesn't have to resist it anymore. It actually craves it, right? Mm-hmm. And I would suggest that you want to do the same thing with your planning. You need to draw the line for your animal brain and say, look, can you see when we did this, we got this positive benefit, right? When we did this, we got this benefit. In the, in the book, I have a whole chapter on how to start stacking in short, mid, and long-term benefits that come from planning. And it's your job, not just to recognize those benefits, but to tie it back to your animal brain and say, see, th- we did that. And it gave us this. So let's let's make the that and this specific. Do you see that we sat down and we faced our week and we dealt with the fear and anxiety of facing our week and making the hard choices? But now this week, this big thing happened and we were ready for it and we handled it masterfully. Do you see, Alan, you're talking to yourself right now. Do you see, Alan, this feeling? Do you feel this feeling of tackling a hard thing masterfully? That's because you sat down last Friday And you did that planning session because if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't have been ready to meet it masterfully, right? Those connections, right? Drawing those connections out gets you to a point where you much more rapidly start to crave your planning. And I can say, honestly, I'm in a place right now where I have a visceral reaction to the idea of not planning. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if somebody tells me I'm going to miss my workout session tomorrow, I I get pissy. I get upset. I start trying to rearrange things. No, i got to make that you know, this it happened today, by the way, I had this podcast, which is when I normally have my personal training session, and I rearranged the world to keep that to move my 
personal training session one hour back and still have it because I crave that set. That's exactly how you can feel about planning your week, but you need to make sure that your animal brain is along for the ride because all too often we try to force our animal brain to do things it doesn't want to do because our logic brain understands. It's not enough. How many times in your life have you known that you were supposed to do something and that it would benefit if you did something, but your animal brain didn't get the memo and so then created a resistance, created a blockage, got you out of it? Oh, so many times. My animal brain wants to watch a movie rather than work on my website or it wants to eat an alpha whore rather than go for a long walk. Like my animal brain... It does not look after me most of the time. It does in the moment sometimes because it avoids like a pain or something going wrong. Yeah, yeah. In general, it does not have my long-term interests at heart. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if my animal brain actually understands tomorrow, let alone <laughs> this evening. I mean, if you want to test this, try to take some. If you want to test, can my animal brain understand this? Ask yourself what your cat would do. If you, if you're, does your cat understand the idea of like, you can't have this treat today, but you can have it tomorrow, <laughs> right? No, your cat's like, I don't know. You're holding the treat. Give me the treat right now. I mean, you know, now can, you know, over time through repeated play, can an animal start to understand things that are a little bit more dis yeah. distance? Yeah. So for example, my dog understands now that when we go away and it goes to live, it has like a trainer, uh, the dog walker, it actually goes and lives with the dog walker. Right. So our, when the dog worker, when we leave and the dog worker comes and picks her up, she knows it's going to be about two weeks to a month and then we're going to come back. Right. So it, it's taken a while, but she's finally created that sort of a little bit longer sense of being able to tolerate something or understand something. Right. And your brain can do that, too. Your brain can connect. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Now that I've been through many cycles of personal development where I've taken on big challenges, over long periods of time, and then proven to myself that I can do something big. Now it's become a bit of an addiction, where now, now once I've finished a cycle of doing something incredibly challenging, it's not long before I want to do it again next? because I've gotten I've gotten addicted to that feeling of taking on big things and and proving that I can do something that's outside of my comfort zone. Now that took a long time, many years of playing that cycle for me, for my animal brain to be like. Let's do it again, right? <laughs> um, so, like, I'd love to get really practical here. Yeah. How, how do I get on the offensive with my business? Like, to everyone listening to this, how do we start being on the offensive rather than waiting for things to happen? Like, I think the how is so important because yes. you've sold me on the way. I'm in. I'm down. Okay. I'm yours. Got it. I mean, I would say for so many people... The part I'm not going to touch is strategic because everybody's at different phases. Everybody's in different niches. God knows that even two people in the same niche might not get the same result, right? So I'm not here to give you strategic advice on your business, but I know that every single person out there would be better if they are getting on offense, looking at things before they get hit, almost like the Stoics, premeditatio malorum, the future consideration of what could go wrong and putting plans into place today to head that off, everybody would be better off. So there's five steps that we take to, to do this. Number one is learn a lesson. If you think about every week that you pre-plan as being a, a, a cycle of a game or a cycle of an experiment, if you prefer, then every experiment when concluded, whether win, lose, or draw, even if your original thesis 
was disproven or hypothesis was disproven, there's still something that could be learned from that experiment, right? And so in your week, not, not six, not seven, not 10, don't take 10 hours, take five minutes every single week and simply distill for yourself one powerful learning from the last game that you played, from the last experiment that you run, the last week of your life. I can tell you, if you were alive and noticing things, there's something powerful that can be learned. And all too often, excuse me, sorry, getting over COVID here. All too often, what happens is that people go through their life stepping on the rake again and again. What I mean by stepping on the rake is, <laughs> in the, I don't know about there, but here in the United States, we had clown shows where the, the clown would step on a rake and it would smack them in the face and they yeah. would step back all dazed and then go and step on it again and again and again. And the crowd would be screaming, no, don't do it. And there's a pathos that makes that funny because we all do that, don't we? We mm. end up making the same mistakes again and again. And when, when you go through life and just change one thing, if five minutes a week, you simply checked yourself and stu stood away from your game and said, what's one powerful lesson of something I did right that I should keep doing or something that I did wrong that I should stop doing, you've now created a learning loop where you are actually improving. And I would argue that you start improving rapidly by simply adding a learning loop into your week. So that's step one, right? Five minutes, learn a lesson. Step two is find a leveraged priority for the week. Not two, not three, not six. What is that one thing? I call it your monopoly moment, right? Again, American game, but hopefully I love pretty popular monopoly. over there. I yeah, love okay, monopoly. there we go. Round yeah. the world, yeah. Yeah, around the world. Okay. You know, the, the do not pass go, do not collect $200. So I always find that there's one thing that if we got it done and got nothing else done, the, the, win, the week was a win. And yet if we got everything else done in our week, but didn't do that one thing, the win would certainly be a loss, right? So find a leverage priority, something that means something that radically moves your life forward. Gary Keller and Jay Papazan have a great, what they call leveraging question. They say, What's something you can do this week that would make everything in the future easier or unnecessary? So it's not just something important to do. It's something leveraged. It's something that magnifies your output in the future. And just make it your mission this week to do that one thing. So we, in our company, we call that the champagne moment, meaning we win. If we get that thing done, even if everything else goes to crap, even if everything else crumbles, if we can get that champagne moment done, we've not only accomplished something, but we've made the future accomplishment of things easier. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome. So that's step number two. Step number three is, and this is where things people think they're doing it right, but they are really not doing it right at all. Don't review your calendar, interrogate your calendar. Ooh. Don't review your calendar, interrogate your calendar. Review seems like checking movie times, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> look, um, here's, it's at four and five. About right? Yeah. Yeah. An interrogation is more like, you know, one of those, uh, those procedural shows where the lawyer is, you know, is interrogating the witness and, and, and the witness is sweating and doesn't want to admit it. But through, through the intricacy of a powerful interrogation, the, the witness slips up and you actually find a key important piece of information. That's the attitude you should bring to reviewing your calendar for the week because your calendar, like a witness that doesn't want to admit the truth, your calendar doesn't want to show you the screw ups the accidents. You've got to get in there with a, a fine tooth comb and you've got to pull out of it the mistakes. I call them landmines because it's almost like they've been planted, like a little bomb has been planted. In fact, there's bombs all over your week, little things. Maybe 
maybe you had a meeting and you thought it was on Zoom, but it turns out that it's in person and you didn't plan on the time to get there and the time to get back, right? Just these tiny little mistakes planted all over your calendar start to compound and ricochet throughout the week where those are the kinds of weeks you have when you didn't really take an imaginary walk through your week and look beat by beat, like where are the landmines? You didn't scan for the landmines. Mm -hmm. Those are the weeks that where Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, it is just a, a carnival of you stepping on landmines in addition to the big things you have to say. Now, let me make a correction here. A lot of people will say, Demir, are you asserting that I can find every single problem that's going to hit me? No. You will still, even after a careful interrogation of your calendar, new stuff will still come up. But let me ask you, would you rather deal just with the big stuff or with the big stuff and a thousand small things that you could have anticipated and avoided, right? So my argument is that when you've cleared out as much of the landmines as you possibly can, when you've truly interrogated your calendar, all you will have to deal with next week is the big things that you truly could not have anticipated, not, not that and a million other things that you could have seen, the unforced errors. So that's step number three, interrogate your calendar. Step number four is you've got to ruthlessly, and I use that word intentionally, ruthlessly triage your task list. So, you know, I love the triage method as, as defined by the Napoleonic doctors, where they, they recognize that there weren't enough doctors to treat all the patients, and there's not enough you to handle all your tasks. And so the same way that they, what they did was they created the triage method to do the most good with the limited resources that they had. So they divided their patients into three categories, the people that would live, even if they didn't do anything to help them, the people that would die, even if they didn't do anything to help them, and the people that would be the most benefited from some help, right? And similarly, you need to look at your, your task list and say, how do I divide it into categories? And and spread my limited resources to do the most good. And I'll tell you what, this is where it takes some real guts. Because at the end of the day, the doctors want to help every patient. And there is something satisfying about every patient coming in trying to help them. But these doctors recognize that in trying to serve every patient, more people were dying overall. And there's something brutal, but also optimal about saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to treat every patient. How do I spread my thin resources across all of these patients to do the most good? And that's exactly what you need to do in your task. And it feels pretty much the same as it would feel like a doctor turning away a patient. I mean, if you think a doctor looks at a patient and says, they're going to have to die. I can't help that person, right? You, if you think they feel good about that, you're crazy. That probably rips them apart inside. But it's justified ethically because they know that they can't help that patient. And by conserving their resources, they can do more good overall. So I would say get the courage to say no to some things and let some patients die or let some tasks die. So that you, that's the ruthless that I talk about so that you can actually spread your resources further and do the most good. And that is the number one thing that most of us are avoiding because it doesn't feel comfortable. That's the decision I was talking about. Those decisions that you don't want to make because it's confronting, because it makes you feel bad about yourself, because it's uncomfortable. And so you don't make them, but then you pay the consequences later. And then the final thing, and I'll just shut up, marry the <laughs> two together. 
So if you've, if you've interrogated your calendar, ruthlessly triage your task list, now you have to calendarize your task list. That means every single thing that you think you're going to do, it needs to go in the calendar and get a time to do it. This is when your plan becomes a plan. And if you don't calendarize your task list, you've done a lot of prep, preparing to plan, but you don't have a plan. Does that make sense? Like setting a priority, looking at your calendar, reviewing, ruthlessly triaging your task list. Those are all great things, but they're great things in preparation to creating a plan. The moment your plan becomes a plan is when you take a task and you put it on your calendar and say, that's the time and place when that thing gets done. And that's it, my friend. Those are the five steps. I'll just review really quickly. Learn a lesson every single week to create a learning loop. Set a leverage priority so you know you're always moving the ball forward, even in weeks when you get your ass handed to you. Look at your calendar and interrogate your calendar. Ruthlessly triage your task list and then marry the two together so that you actually create what we would call a real plan, not a preparation for planning. The one thing I'd love you just to give me a tiny bit more on is the final one of putting it in the calendar. Everything yeah. inside me says I don't want to do that. Yes, uh, it feels like overkill. I don't want that. It feels like overkill. And yes. I think like, for me, I prefer to have a list of things and then I just work down the list and like I get to where I get to. Um, help me to understand more about yeah. the benefit of that and why oh. I should do yeah. it. Your life is like a, a, a rare truffle salesman, right? So like, let's imagine that you sell truffles, right? And the reason I use truffles is they're extremely rare, highly perishable, extremely expensive, right? Non-replaceable. You can't just grow more truffles. There's sort of a fixed amount of truffles they're going to grow. And so in a, in, in a fixed, in, in a market where the, the asset that you sell is fixed, you have to allocate it preciously. You have to, you know, preserve it. You have to make sure that you sell it before it goes bad. I mean, this is a very, if you really get into the, the, the finer points of transporting, harvesting, transporting, selling truffles. I mean, it is a really complicated industry because you need to make sure that you get the, the best bid for your precious amount of truffles in a highly short amount of time with an asset that can go bad extremely fast. And that's virtually identical to how you work in your life. Your, your company, right? Your, your business is selling your time. The problem with your time is if you don't use it well and it goes away, guess what? It perished. You can't go back and get the time you didn't use well last week and then resell it this week. Once it's gone, it's gone forever, right? So the in a world where you're dealing with a fixed, finite resource, like the 168 hours you have, you really need to bring a completely different attitude. Instead of thinking, oh, well, you know, just use the time up I have and I'll get some more time. You really want to think, I've got 168 hours. Let's make the most of it. Let's get the biggest impact that we can possibly get. So believe me, I used to be that person who, if you showed me a full calendar, I would run the other way because I wanted freedom. I wanted flexibility. And all of the things that I thought I wanted by living my life in an unstructured way, I now have by taking radical ownership of my time, right? So freedom, flexibility, got it. Check, check, right? Power, operating powerfully, you know, having hobbies, being a great dad, working less than 27 hours a week. I mean, everything I thought I wanted and I thought I was preserving by running away from setting a plan, I actually have now by taking radical ownership of my time. So although I might not convince you in this moment, I'll, I would like to plant a seed that hopefully becomes a brain worm. Please what, do. If, what if everything you think you want 
is actually a result of going to the last place that you would ever imagine, right? What if the flexibility, what if the operating powerfully, what if the schedule even, right? So for example, a lot of people laugh at me because I have scheduled in my week, I have time to just sit on the couch and listen to albums. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's the, it's the epitome of time freedom. To, I mean, if you, if you could sit and just listen to an album with your headphones staring at the ceiling, you know, that is somebody who has massive time freedom. I only have that time freedom because I am so powerfully in control of my 168 hours. So I just want to be really clear for people who, are, who feel like calendarizing is too much. I would ask you, what if it's just enough? What if that is the starting block that you're never quite getting onto? And I, would, and, and I would just say, don't believe me, take the Pepsi challenge. You can go to winningtheweek.com. We have a whole training that covers everything that I just said right here. It's totally free. So winningtheweek.com, free training, covers everything in depth that we just covered here, shows you how to plan your week in less than 30 minutes. Do it for one or two weeks, and then tell me if you didn't have the best, freest, most flexible week that you were thinking you might have had by avoiding planning, but you actually get it by embracing. It's really interesting how the universe works. It's normally the thing you least want to do delivers the result you most want, which I hate and love, uh, <laughs> but it's really fascinating how the universe works. Um, to me, your energy is infectious. Your drive is infectious. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your ideas with everyone. I really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about you, is winningtheweek.com the best place to go? Yeah, go to winningtheweek.com. We're writing a book of the same title um, on the same topic. But for those of you who don't want to wait for the book, it's coming out on July the 12th. Um, you can actually go to winningtheweek.com right now, pre-sign up for the book. And we have an hour-long training that covers the basics of how to plan your week in less than 30 minutes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And are you still in Colombia? Um, yeah, that's what you're seeing behind me. Yeah. I love it. We were there for two months in Bogota recently. Love Colombia. Enjoy Colombia. Enjoy the coffee. And uh, yeah, don't have too many bandeja paises. Ah, <laughs> thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, that was a fascinating episode in Demir has a huge amount of energy. I think my biggest takeaway from that episode is, in his words, getting on the offensive. I think that's something we just don't do in business and in life enough. We wait until the last minute to deal with the things before they happen rather than tackling them way, way, way ahead of their actually going to happen. And we travel to Argentina tomorrow. We're in Uruguay at the moment and you have a form to fill in. We need to think about the money. Argentina has a uh, black market for dollars. So you get a far better exchange rate if you take cash. There's a whole bunch of stuff that needs doing before we travel rather than traveling and then going, how do we make all this work and what's happening and not really having the learning? We need to have looked ahead get on the offensive research the exchange rates find out how to withdraw money make sure we do all the paperwork to get the country and this stuff is far easier when you're going on holiday or you're going somewhere and you're traveling because you go there's the date that's what i need to do it's a lot less easy when it's your business 
because it, like this is what happens every week. There's not a special instant that goes, it has to be done by that day. It's just what happens every single week, which is why I think this is so critical for all of us. And there was lots of actionable steps in the podcast, but I think I would like to, if you're open to it, give you one from this thing, which is right now, have a look at your calendar, at your diary for the week coming and work out what you need to prepare. Today, I had someone who was meant to be coming on the podcast uh, and I got a message this morning saying, I've not ordered my microphone in time. He said he wanted to buy one. I've not ordered my microphone in time, so we need to reschedule the podcast. And he's annoyed me uh, because I have to now shuffle my diary. Like There's stuff I can do, but it's annoying. I've planned and prepped for this. I've got it ready. And he didn't look forward for the landmines. And the landmine is, do I have headphones? Do I have a microphone? Am I ready to do the podcast? And we need to do that. We have to do that looking forward. Otherwise, we'll miss opportunities. We'll annoy people. Customers get annoyed. So the practical thing I want you to do is go into your calendar, your diary, your schedule, and look through what's coming up and start to ask the questions. Do I know where I'm going? Do I have what I need? Do I know what I want out of the meeting? Am I prepared? Because the more prepared you get, the better and stronger you get at this stuff of like dealing with this stuff up front. Even asking, do I actually want to do this meeting? Is it a valuable use of my time? The stronger and better you get at it, the easier your week comes when you actually get to it. So there is your challenge from the podcast Look through that calendar, look at what's coming up, work out what you want, if you've got what you need, whether you need to do it, which is the most important task and prepare for the week coming. Because if you can get on the offense, life just becomes easier when you get to actually doing the tasks. Have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Please, if you get a chance, share some of your favorite episodes with your friends. Like I create this podcast to help people. So please help me to help more people. I would really appreciate that. It makes a huge difference. And if you found the podcast fun, you have feedback, you can find a contact form on alandonegan.com and let me know what you think. It makes a huge difference to have you on the journey, to hear from you, to get those messages and for you to share the podcast. It makes a massive difference to me. So thank you for listening. Go forth and get on the offensive. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.